Hello and welcome to Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. My name is Matt. And I'm Matt too. Today we are going to be reviewing testimony, so exciting, from the February 4th public hearings. Yeah, February actually, 4th happened, happened a little while ago and let's get into what people had to say about it. It is fascinating to see what people say. What we're also going to do as a precursor to this is review a little bit of what happened at the work sessions. So the work sessions, to be clear, and a reminder for what those are, those happen after the public hearing, usually after uh, at least three or four days, sometimes a week or two, depending on when they schedule it. Uh, And what they do, it's into the committee's hands where they get to discuss it, and they own it at that point. There's no more public hearings. There's no more input unless unless people are asked for it. So all we have for these work sessions are what happened during them for a vote. We don't have any other information than that at this point. Okay, so let's start with what happened on February 6th. Uh, this, these are work sessions from January 30th to get your timeline right. So the first one was LD29, which was a resolve to implement the recommendations of the task force to address the opioid crisis. This one was ought not to pass. Ought not to pass. Which is not what I was gathering from the testimony that we had last time. I, yeah, I, I didn't. I, I did not see this one coming. Neither did I. I don't. I don't know what happened here. I didn't get to listen to it. Um, they haven't published anything yet, but it, it's it's not going anywhere. So let's go to the next one because more fascinating stuff. Uh, the next one was another resolve was LD ninety seven regarding legislative review of portions of Chapter thirty eight suicide pre- awareness and prevention in Maine public schools. Uh, they were rules. And let's do the next one at the same time, because uh, same thing happened. LD98 sure. was a resolve regarding legislative review of 122, grant application and award procedure. This one is a more of a standard what happened during this. These were ought to pass as amended. Yeah. So the, the last one was the FEDES, uh, the Fund for Efficient Delivery of Educational Services, you know, the FEDES grant that a lot of schools are, are using now. And the, the previous one was, again, suicide awareness. Ought to pass as amended. So what happens if it's ought to pass amended is, as we said, the committee has a hold of it. They get to debate it. They get to talk about it. Clearly on those, these two revolves, they changed something and then decided ought to pass. So that their next step, since it's out of committee, it will go to the full House and Senate to see what happens next, which is to be determined when that happens. That's and that I'll, say, I'll say I'll say this too for for the rest of this and for a little bit later. Stay tuned. As soon as we have information, we will share it with you. Absolutely, absolutely. So the next two in the afternoon were LD ninety two, which is an act to amend teacher evaluation requirements, and LD one hundred three, an act to ensure the integrity of for profit colleges. Uh, yep. If you the first one, if you if you remember the first one, ahead. teacher evaluation was about um, making all student data, student growth data optional. And the ensuring the integrity of for-profit colleges one, that was the one that said all degree-granting for-profit institutions in the state had to be held to certain requirements, standards, accountability or accreditation issues, et cetera, and both of which were divided reports, correct? Divided reports, which means the parties did not agree on what they were talking about, and they wanted to put out their own reports about how they felt about these particular bills. I don't exactly know where it goes from here. We don't have those reports at this time. Those will show up 
uh, and sometime in the future. And as Matt says, we'll get those to you as soon as we find out what they are. But it, but it sounds like if they're divided by party, political party, you could probably figure out who's standing where. You might just be able to contact your legislator or contact education committee members and say, hey, even through emails or phone calls, keep lobbying for what it is that you believe in. Absolutely. So let's get to the testimony. Let's do it. This is the testimony that happened on February 4th at 9 a.m. Once again, we are skipping the ones that are more of the cultural affairs one and not education related. So I'm sorry, we're not going to have any good uh, Whaleback Lighthouse talk today, nor any talk about homesteads. Although, if you're fascinated, please go to the website and you read it all you want. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it is it's it, super it is riveting testimony. There are 11 items between the two bills that you could read and get a good idea of where they all stand. So the first one that morning was LD150, which is an act to improve attendance at public elementary schools. What that one did was bring the kids who were already in school, like at five years old, if they're in kindergarten, so it brings them under the same type of law as everybody else. So basically, if you're enrolled in school younger than seven, you are bound to show up to school. If you're not enrolled, it doesn't matter. But if you are enrolled, you need to show up to school. You're bound to the same like truancy requirements, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So yes. this one... Uh, was tied right along with another one that we'll talk about next, which lowered the age of, of you when you had to show up to school. But this one basically was, if you show up to school before you're seven, you have to show up every right, you day. Can't, right. You can't just be Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday. You have to be, every, if you show up before you're seven, every day. Okay. According to whatever, whatever the rules of your school and the state are. That's very true. So let's talk about some of the testimony. Most of the testimony, I would say was positive on this one uh in support is what i mean by positive that we want these kids once they're in school to show up to school there was some uh confusion between this and the other bill which is very understandable so i've moved some testimony around from one one to the other one but this is basically uh i like how the uh msma uh, excuse me msba uh, talked about Maine School Management Association talked about giving some leverage to require them if they're in school that they have to show up to school and they say quote it is aimed of course not at the child but at the child's parents the scenario it is attempting to address is one where parents enroll a child but fail to make sure the child attends regularly end quote it really talks a lot about early education we've talked yes. about a lot uh, at the beginning of our series this year how there's a lot of early education bills uh, that are out there and getting ready to, to, uh, to be talked about. This one basically says, show up to school. If you're enrolled in school, you need to show up to school. That's yep. really it. It really is. There were, there were seven pieces of written or, or, or submitted testimony, and five were uh, for it, ought to pass. Two were against, ought not to pass. Um, and... What you'll see with this one was also that it, 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 the same trend appeared in the next one of who supported it and who didn't support it. So why don't we go ahead and talk with about, about that 151, LD 151, and then we can talk about the overall who was for, who was against, and what, what's, what's, how is it all playing out. Okay, so 151 was an act to align state law with current practice regarding required school attendance. This is the one that lowers the age of uh, you when, when you're required to show up to school from seven to six, 
And as Matt just said, this one confused a lot of people doing the testimony here. Yes, it did. Well, well, it confused a lot of the folks who were um, not part of one of the overall organizations. There we go. In the state, because as I, as I said a moment ago, what you'll see in both uh, LD150 and 151 is that organizations like the Maine School Board Association, Maine Superintendents Association, Maine Principals Association, the Maine Education Association, uh, the Maine Parent uh, the, the Maine Parent PTA Association, Parent Teacher Association, they're all in favor of this bill, or both bills. They're all in favor. The, the educational organizations overwhelmingly support this bill. I saw the words unanimously uh, support a lot. The folks against this bill were more of individuals who have more of a homeschool approach, who also um, look at the desire for younger kids, early elementary kids or elementary level kids that age to engage more in play and to not necessarily be um, reined in by the quote unquote, the, the restrictions or the barriers or the walls, quote unquote, of a traditional institutional education. So one was more based around unanimous decisions of organizations, education organizations throughout the state, and the other was an opinion of, the, of one particular side, but mostly individuals. So one of the things that I think missing from those individuals that they missed with this is their, their kids will still have an option to be homeschooled. They don't have to show up to a, to a public school, which I right. think they're missing a little bit when I'm reading some of the testimony. Uh, one of the things that I saw throughout a, a few pieces of testimony was where states around the country had compulsory attendance, which I thought was fascinating. Uh, right now, Maine is at age seven, and 13 other states require their kids to be in school by age seven. Two of them at age eight, 25 of them at age six, and 11 states at age five. So we are on the very high end. We're on the high end. The very high end. Uh, so if we went to age six, like this bill asks, we'd be one of 36 states at age six or five. Now, as we've established in many uh, past episodes, I'm not very good at math. Can you help me out? Is 36, is that a majority of the states? Uh, let me think. Uh, divide by 50, carry the one, multiply by 100 to get the percent right. I think we're Isn't over there a 50. Is there somewhere? Oh, yeah, but I usually just skip those. Okay. Because those are hard. Yeah. So that would actually give a 72% of states, almost three quarters. See what I did there? Math. I, I do. It was I, math. I, I, that was math. And I can say with assurance, you did that off of your head. That was, that was pretty good. good. That, was, that was good. You used to, like, like you used to be a math teacher or something. So we are not saying that that is necessarily correct, but we are or, saying right. that yeah. we'd be just in line with 35 other states across the country. So, so that, I just want to put that one out there. Yeah. Well, that goes in line with the with, with – the, 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 the title of 151, which to align with current law, with current practice. That's all it is doing. It's aligning with what, with what currently is. Right. Uh, most oh. of our kids, as we've talked about before, when we previewed these bills, most kids are already in school by age five or six. Uh, there is very, very, very few kids that come to school for the first time at age seven. Right. 
of the written testimony, I will say this too. It was pretty over the course of the two bills. It was pretty even about the amount of written testimony that was on that was either for or against. There were no that at least I read no neither for nor against, which yep. is an option to testify to write testimony. Um, but it was very clear that the folks for were the organizational side and the folks against were more of the homeschool general approach. Not all. There was one or two that were different. But generally speaking, it was from that approach of allowing kids to play and allowing kids to not be institutionalized. But like you said, I think it means that they could just they have self to enroll in school, homeschool just a year earlier. Absolutely. Absolutely. does not prevent that one. does not prevent it. Okay. So that's a wrap up of the morning. When we get to the afternoon here, we have yep. four, four bills to talk about. We're going to start off with LD63, which was an, an act to, respo- to excuse me, an act <laughs> to improve responsiveness of elected school boards to the public. Yeah. Yeah, this one was one of the short ones, if you remember. This one basically added the law that says, added the line to the law that says, a school board is accountable to the residents who live within the boundaries of the school board's district who are the school board's constituents. This one fascinated me. As uh, to, to give a little history there, uh, you are a current school board member. Yes, and I will not be speaking on behalf of our, of our my current school board at all during <laughs> any of this. This is me and me alone. Yes, I am a former school board member. Uh, and I am very interested because some of the things they talked about here, I never happened to hear. Yeah, uh, it was it was mostly it was it was about a three to two, uh, for and against the written testimony. Again, most of the written testimony for was organizations like the uh, MPA, Maine Principal Association, and the uh, Maine State School Board Association, Maine uh, School Superintendents Association, um, and a lot of a lot of uh, you know, great points on the other side too about making sure that hey, they're elected officials and they should necessarily be you know, accountable to the people who elected them. My concern with this one going forward, and again, I'm not speaking as a, as a practicing board member on behalf of my district. This is just for me. My concern with this is that if we become explicitly accountable to the public and not just focused on the kids and the learners in the school district, that kind of opens us or school board members up to being lobbied and influenced by outside organizations that might not have the best interest of our kids in mind. And so I think that's a danger, a line that needs to be really watched carefully with this. Um, I don't know how accurate that is, but that's kind of a gut feeling that I'm getting from it, that of a concern that I, I want to make sure that boards are not political entities in that way. Agreed. And I think that's one of the differences between a school board and a legislature uh, a couple yeah. of these pieces of testimony made that point in particular. Some of the um, some of the support of this one, uh, which was to again to uh, basically to improve responsiveness of school boards to the public, says that Drummond and Woodson's law advisory about this one basically tells them tells school board members they're. Uh, quote, in no sense represents the town. Its members are chosen by the voters of the town, but after election, they are public officers deriving their authority from the law and responsible to the state for the good faith and rectitude of their acts. 
Uh, that's an end quote. It also talks about primary duty to oversee public education and not solely to carry out the actual or perceived will of the local voters. So it also kind of talks about how the Drummond and Woodsum went through this with school board members and told them basically, forget about the voters, you're responsible for the students. Yep. Uh, this was from a long time ago when I was actually on a school board. I don't remember any of this. I'm not doubting the veracity of this one. I, I'm sure it's truthful here, but I don't remember any of this. Well, as, as, as with everything, it's all in the interpretation. Um, so I think part of it is that I think part of the, the responsibility of a school board member, at least the way I've been informed of it, is that our number one responsibility is for the students. And so, for example, if the entire public, the town, says we want to bring in corporal punishment, for example, as a means of discipline in our schools, the school board can say, well, the research and the evidence says no, so we don't necessarily have to do that because it's not in the best interest of our students. So the school board doesn't have to respond to the overwhelming – that, that's kind of where I think the Drummond Woodsum area is going with it. However, that can be taken to a level where it says – well, no, you don't have to listen to them at all. You don't even have to provide public commentary at your meetings or at your open thing. You, you just have to don't even you don't even have to respond to anything to emails or anything. Well, that's taking it a bit too far. That's going to a level of an extreme. And I think that some districts may have gone to one of those extremes. And hence why we're having this bill brought in front of the, the committee. Agreed. So the uh, the one who introduced this one also attached, uh, excuse me, the representative who uh, brought this on was Representative Amy Arada of District 65, and she attached uh, the titles of what's the duties of the school boards to her testimony, of which there are 19 things. Uh, one of them was interesting that I, again, I didn't research at all, which is just like us. So <laughs> bullet four talks about so like us. no prohibition on use for political activity. Now, I'm wondering how that goes back to the one where it wants to silence political activity of teachers, but it's okay for school board members. I thought, yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, but I don't really see a lot of stuff that, that really says anything about uh, listening to your voters. I did, if, if that were true, then I wonder how some of our United States senators and representatives really still have a job because they don't really listen to our voters all so much. We we elected them to represent us, but right. they don't necessarily do what we tell them to do. So, so, so we don't live in a true democracy. We live in a representative republic. Is kind of what you're getting at. Yeah, but that would be. Re it's too long to say. So we just say democracy. I I know, but but it is a representative republic, and that's that is where we go because we elect people with our own values. Then we say, okay, we trust you to go and do the job that we need you to do. So. I think there are some good points on both sides of this issue because, as, again, it can't be that a, that a school board does not respond to the public or keeps them completely in the dark on the things. But on the other side, it can't be that the school board is completely at the, at the behest, so to speak, of, of the public because then it opens the school board members up to a uh, lobbying opportunity that could then be detrimental, in my opinion, in my perspective, to the students and the teachers and the schools of that particular district. Next up is LD 137, 
and act to make the main learning technology initiative more cost effective. Okay, so what this one did, remember, was basically say that we had to take, or first of all, it's a concept draft, that school districts had to take the lowest cost, just like anything else. Reading the testimony in this one was fascinating to me. It, it was, and uh, hearing the person present it, uh, this testimony was, I got to listen to part of it, it was fascinating because what they were saying was the devices matter the most in that the cost of the devices and if we got what if, if everyone went with the cheapest option, we could save millions and hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it was for the state. And that was one side of it. And then came the other side, which was all technology educators, all people who have been part of the MLTI program forever and said, yeah, MLTI isn't about the devices. MLTI is about opportunity. And if you go with a cheap device, you get a cheap result. And it needs to be about can the device do what the teaching and learning needs to be. Yeah, there was, there's a lot more to MLTI than just the device. It's about the network. It's about the connectivity. It's about uh, everything that happens in schools with, uh, with the technology. I like how a lot of people said... It would be exactly like telling a teacher they can only get the lowest price textbook back when we had textbooks. So, yeah, I, which is I would, which I would, is crazy, right? Which is crazy. It is. It is. I would I would strongly recommend, if people can, to read the testimony of Jeff Mao. Yep, I learned a lot from Jeff Mao's t testimony. Jeff Mao um, formerly worked in MLTI, and it was really nice to see the history of it and what actually happens. And especially I read in a few of them through MLTI, the lowest priced proposal has always been the case, yeah. but, it, but it was only 25% of the scoring of the RFPs, the request for proposals. The rest was about solution function, technical services and support, professional development and bitter experience. I thought that part was really fascinating because I didn't really know the details of how MLTI worked. Yeah, there, there, there's so much more to it than just saying you get a Chromebook or you get a MacBook. Exactly. It's, it, it's, it's very layered. And um, the fact that we, you know, you might be paying for a bigger price with like an Apple product, let's say, but what you get along with that are the services that come along with that Apple product, where if you just if you get a certain like Chromebook or whatnot, you won't get those services and supports. And the services and supports are what our teachers need in order to make the MLTI MacBooks or programs or whatnot really sing in the classrooms. And so that was where a lot of the testimony that I read and have heard um, since then uh, from from folks around the state really go really head towards. Agreed. Um, are we almost done with that one? Because I have one more thing to say. Yeah, go for it. Okay, one more thing I had to say, and this is not specific to this bill at all, but when reading through the some of the testimony, um, some of the testimony was clearly written by a person, and a lot of people copy-pasted. And as I'm reading this, I'm, I'm trying to put myself in the place of being a legislator. When I, when I read these and trying to gain information that I didn't have before, that's how I do it. I'm not sure how you review this stuff. But as I'm reading them from all in the same general area, 
a lot of the exact same verbiage with a little bit of their part of a story in the next paragraph. And it just turned me off a little bit. It was surprising that the amount of people who wanted a, the opportunity to speak to the committee in person was the MLTI tech lead of the school, but was unable to leave a midday meeting on their school day. You know, a lot of them started that way. Like you're saying, it was a form letter. It was a form letter. And, 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 and which is great because it gives your opinion and, and it helps folks who don't have time to write the stuff. However, the, the downside of that is a reader might just say, oh, I've read this already. Yep, same thing, same thing, same thing. Okay, I'll just put it on the, the, the for or against pile, which, okay, you've been counted, but have you been heard? Have, you re have your opinions really been heard? So it's important if you're going to write testimony to really take the time. And if you're going to do a form letter, fine, but tweak it in ways that makes it a lot more personal. That's just our opinions on how you should write testimony. So let's go to the next one. We have two left. This one was LD-176. This was a good one. An act to enhance participation on the State Board of Education. Yeah. So this one is actually the one where I learned the most, to be honest. Uh, as a reminder, this one took away the restriction that uh, any teacher or administrator in an educational institution is not eligible for appointment on the State Board. It takes that away so they can be on it. And there was a lot of the regular... Uh, the testimony went through a lot of the, the other state boards. And, of course, if you're on a medical board, you kind of want doctors on it. If you're on the state board of social workers, you kind of want social workers on it. If you want my favorite one, if you want to be on the state board of pesticides control, you should be knowledgeable about pesticides. Or be a pest. <laughs> In that case, we can both be eligible. So that well, one was... That one was pretty easy to me. Here's the part that I liked when I was reading one particular piece of this one. It's the second part of this bill that says a teacher or administrator serving on the state board must be granted release time for attendance at state board meetings. The state board is responsible for any cost. So I'm reading through this testimony, and I do it by... It's alphabetical, how I get on here. So I get down to... Wilson Hess's testimony. Wilson Hess is the chair of the State Board of Education right now. I was hoping you'd get to his. His was my favorite testimony of them all. Well, that's well. you can tell me why after I get through this one. But the first part that I saw was neither for nor against. I'm like, okay, well, this is going to be conflict of interest. I don't really want to say either one. So let's just, let's just see what he says. And blah, 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 blah. The release time because they don't pay for release time for any other person on the board of ed, on the right. state board of ed. So we're uncomfortable with paying for teachers and administrators to be there, which I thought was fascinating and correct. Yeah. And that's why they went neither for nor against rather than yeah. just, well, of course we want teachers and administrators and people who know what they're doing, which obviously why aren't they doing for then? And that's it right there. But this is the value of the testimony because exactly. you, create, you create a bill, you create this thing like the for-profit college is one that we talked about. You create this with whatever the best intentions in mind. And then in the drafting of your language, you bring up a four and then, oops, wait a second, we forgot a major component. Yep. And that's yep. something that I think Wilson has, I, it was my favorite part because it was so informational yep. and it was so informative about, yeah, I think there's, the, the testimony was overwhelmingly for this. Yeah, because everything like, yeah, else. Everything you should else. have teachers on this. And I, I think his point was like, yes, 
However, the way that this bill is written might not work and could create a major inequity. So, or some major inequities. And so, so it was it was fascinating, as you said. So here's going to be my guess for that one, since we talked about at the beginning of this about how work sessions go, and we talked about ought to pass as amended, and then we see the amendments eventually. That's going to be an amendment that I bet that's taken out, but the rest of it is going to be fine. I think so, too. We're going to be the predictors. The prognosticators. <laughs> the Karnaks. The great Karnax. We have one yes, left I, I, today. I'll wear my hat. Please do, and put it on Twitter, of course. So <laughs> our last Maine one. At Maine Ed Matters. And on Facebook, at Maine Education Matters with Matt and Matt. Not Just Maine so Education sure. Matters. Yeah, you'll find us. Yeah, you Matt and Matt are there. can't really avoid us. Nope. So one more for the day, which had the most testimony, it looks like, from in my hand here. Overwhelmingly. It is LD-178, an act to increase the state share of the cost of health insurance for retired teachers. Okay, so what this one is going to do is increase the state share of the retired teacher's insurance, basically, because right now it is sitting at 45%. Yeah, and what this bill does is it raises that percentage to 50% in 2019, then up to 50, uh, from 2019 to 2020, then 55% the next year, 60%. And all the way up to 90% by 2027. So reading some of the testimony on this one, it is mainly full of retired teachers and retired educators. And it's overwhelmingly in favor of this one. And help me if I'm wrong here, I didn't see a single one that was against this one. I, I did not either. The Maine School Boards Association and Superintendents Association uh, in favor of this. Um, so was the MEA, Maine Education Association, and so was the Maine Principals Association. I am super surprised that there was nobody against it, just because nobody. of the money involved. The amount of money that's involved, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm assuming that's going to come up during work session, but all of the, all of the testimony, again, was like, yes, and, and very specific about this is how much I pay as a retired teacher, this is what I would save during it, because my pension doesn't keep up with cost of living and health insurance, of course, keeps going up and up and up and up. And it's basically outdoing their pensions. So if right. we want to help these teachers who um, really kind of get screwed when they retire about insurance. Yeah. And one of the things that I didn't know, this this one was the, the bill that I learned the most about, that... If you're a state employee, when you retire, you get 100% of your costs taken care of. But when you're a teacher who is technically a state employee, you only get right now 45%. Well, are teachers technically state employees? I think so. I think they're, so. They're, they're district employees, even though the retirement is done by the state. the state. That's where it gets a bit weird. And there was a lot of testimony. I. I don't exactly know the wording here because there's a lot, a lot of it here. But saying yeah, a lot of it. they're trying to fix that in some other bills also. Because there is a fiscal note now available um, that was approved on February 8th. Um, and it, what it does is it says that for the, it, it's going to increase the overall general and the general fund, the money for this. Um, and it, this year, 2019-20, it's at $3.5 million. Then in 2020, 21, it's going to jump up to over 7 million. 
So it's going to double. From 21 to 22, it's going to jump up to 11.4 million. And then it's going to go up to 15.7 million for 22-23. So in the next four years, the appropriations or allocations for this particular fund and in, in, in for retirement are going to go from 3.5 million to 15.7 million. I can see there will be some folks who are going to have a real problem with that. Especially, you know, I've already heard some folks already saying with the, with the new budget being promoted by the governor, which is great and everything. But because of that, we have to think about how funding happens differently. So this this is a big cost shift and is going to cause some some real ripples and political conversation over the next few months. So one of the things that I think is going to be also brought up in the future about this uh, that I've, I've heard rumblings of are two things that were mentioned in testimony. Uh, one of them, how teachers are subject to both the government pension offset and the windfall elimination provision. To be honest, I haven't any idea what either of those ones are, but I am super interested in finding out what they are and how it relates to all of this, especially when they talk about so many different pieces of what healthcare looks like, that, that bills are coming through uh, the state legislature and the U.S. Congress about health care, that, that I want to find out what these are to treat everybody fair. Yeah. And, and those are two things that I don't really know about. Uh, my parents are both retired educators. And honestly, I, I have no idea how the money works with them. Um, someday I'm going to be a retired educator, I'm hoping. No, you're never going to be able to retire. Yeah, I'll die first, most, most likely true. That's a government pension offset. Uh, so we're going to find out what those are and how that all relates. Uh, but that is our review of the testimony from February 4th. Fourth. Yeah, that was a busy day. It was a very busy day. And we will be continuing looking at things as we go forward, previewing upcoming uh, sessions for public hearings. And then after the testimony are printed and published for us, we'll, of course, do the dirty work of reviewing it and coming forward and bringing to you our in-depth analysis of what it is that we think was said, what's happened, and what it all means. And then, of course, as with everything, we just don't really know. It's just, we're going to say what we think. Let's call it some depth analysis. Some depth analysis, <laughs> yes. So make sure you hit subscribe on this feed so you get every episode. We're probably going about twice a week at this point because things are going very, very, very quickly here at the beginning. Yes, they sure are. And uh, hopefully we'll get some... Uh, Get some good feedback from you all and uh, some good engagement on Twitter and Facebook. And thanks for following us and thanks for engaging, as always. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.